You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. Let me ask you a question. What are your top five things on your bucket list? What are the top five things that you have on your bucket list? Bungee jumping, see the Eiffel Tower, learn the tango, dinner at the White House, swim with the sharks. I'm just throwing out ideas. What are the top five that you have on your list? You know, lots of people do have something similar to a bucket list, things they want to do before they kick the bucket. That's how that goes. Here's my question for you. If you checked off everything on your current bucket list, would your life be complete? When it's your last day on earth and you look back over your whole life, are you going to be able to say with confidence, yeah, I planned and I invested my time into what mattered most. I made the main thing the main thing. I did what God wanted me to do. Consider this. The items on your bucket list could determine if you have any regrets at the end of your life. You might look back and say, I wish I had done more for God's kingdom and less for my kingdom. Now, this term, the bucket list, it comes from a movie that it was made popular from the 2007 movie called The Bucket List. You remember that movie starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, two older men from vastly different backgrounds. They shared a hospital room and they developed a friendship over time and began talking about how their biggest regrets in life had led to a very unfulfilled life. And so against their doctor's advice, they set off on a breathtaking trip around the world to check off items on a handwritten list of things they wanted to do before they died. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know they did some good things. They did some bad things. But along the way, they ask some important spiritual questions. But this series that we're in is not about their bucket list. It's about your bucket list. It's about the bucket list that you could create if you were in sync with how God is calling you to live your life. Now, last week, Pastor Dustin introduced us to the theme verse for this series. Here it is. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This series is called Made for More. And my prayer is that these five weeks help us to all revamp our top five must do's in life so that we pursue the things of God that make a difference, not only now, but for eternity. Here's why you cannot become all that God intends for you to become unless you pursue what God intends for you to pursue. See that? That's how that works. You cannot become all that God intends for you to become unless you pursue what God intends for you to pursue. So let's be determined as followers of Jesus to pursue the things of God. Now, you might be asking yourself or thinking in your head, okay, but God could have some pretty outrageous things for me to do. 
You can count on it. He certainly does. They might even take you in a lifetime to achieve. As this series unfolds, you'll see that God's bucket list, however, is not too flashy. It's not designed to impress others. It's not about taking risks just for the sake of taking risks, which is what my kids did one day when they told me they were going to the beach, but they failed to mention they were also going skydiving. I was not happy. God's bucket list may not include hair-raising adventures, exotic destinations, or unbelievable extravaganzas that make the headlines or impress your friends, but his list will lead to greater purpose and fewer regrets at the end of your life. Which brings us to a disciple named Peter. Now, last week, you may recall, Pastor Dustin talked about the apostle Paul, but this week, we're going to focus on a different apostle. This one is the apostle Peter. And if you grew up in the church or read the Bible, you've certainly heard of him. In fact, his birth name was Simon. So oftentimes you hear him referred to as Simon Peter, but Jesus changed his name to Cephas. And so in some Bibles, you'll see it called Cephas, which is, it's, it's an Aramaic word that means rock. Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke. And so sometimes you'll see Cephas as a way of describing Peter. Now, the Greek word for rock is the word Petros, and translated into English, that's where we get the name Peter. So that's how he gets his name. Peter and his brother Andrew were among the first disciples to follow Jesus. They were professional fishermen before they met Jesus. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention the name of Peter 120 times. And you might not think that's a big deal, until you realize that the next most mentioned disciple is John, and he's only mentioned 20 times. What this means is Peter is central to God's plan to bring redemption to humanity, not because he's a perfect disciple or better than anyone else. In fact, Peter is far from it. <laughs> Peter is mostly portrayed in the New Testament as a flawed disciple, one who's confused, one who's afraid, one who's faltering, much like us. Remember on the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed and, well, Peter denied Jesus three times, as you know. And while his faults are well known, so are his moments of boldness, bravado, and determination, even if it costs him his life. And so you've probably heard the story of Peter walking on the water. Everybody's heard that story. It's a heart-pounding moment, and it only happened once, as far as we know. Other than Jesus and Peter, we don't read of anybody else in the Bible walking on water, so don't put it on your bucket list. That's my, that's my point. That's not a bucket list item for you, walking on water. But it's worth taking a look at Peter's boldness in the face of his fear as we think about creating our own own bold bucket list items for God. So let's dive in to the story in Matthew chapter 14. If you want to use the Bible, the black Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, you're welcome to. It's on page 840. You're welcome to follow along on the screen as well if you prefer to do that. Beginning in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, let me put some context to this story about Jesus walking on the water. Jesus had just spent the entire day 
teaching thousands of people on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've stood on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, when I was there, I saw some boats off into the distance. And for some reason, I said, cast your nets on the other side. (laughs) The people I was with just looked at me like, really? I mean, it's also on this day, by the way, that Jesus performed another very famous miracle, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. So this is what's happened during the day. And at the end of the day, he sends his disciples off on a boat to sail across the Sea of Galilee. So here we go. After he had dismissed them, that means sent them across the Sea of Galilee. Actually, this is talking about dismiss the crowds, I think. He went up on a mountain by himself to pray. There's a bucket list item for you right there. There's a bucket list item for you right there. And as the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, this journey across the Sea of Galilee should have only taken a couple of hours. But on this night, without warning, a massive storm swept in, threatening to sink the boat. It's worth mentioning, I think, that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those four disciples, in a former life, before they met Jesus, were professional fishermen on this lake. They knew how to sail. They were experienced at this. I'm sure there had been many occasions where they had sailed across this lake. So these guys know what they're doing, but they've never really, although they've probably encountered some storms, they've never really encountered a storm like this. So shortly before dawn, some translations say the wee hours of the morning or the fourth hour, which means between 3.30 and 6.30. So we'll take the middle of that about 4.30. Shortly before dawn, around 4.30, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, it says. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, they're fighting to keep the boat afloat when they see this shadowy figure in the distance coming toward them on the water. And they're afraid. They don't know what to do. They naturally, like all of us probably would, they freak out. They think it's some kind of spirit, some kind of ghost. They don't know what it is. But as the figure comes closer, they can tell. They recognize who it is. They see it's Jesus. And he's walking on the water. Now, before we come down too hard on these guys because of their fear, because they cried out in fear, it says. Let's remember how many times we've had trouble recognizing Jesus in the presence of our own storms. Storms of disappointment, storms of anxiety, storms of doubt, financial storms, stormy relationships. The list could go on and on. Someone has said you're either in a storm, you've just come through a storm, or you're ready to enter into a storm. And I think that's true. My question is, why did Jesus wait until 4.30 in the morning to come walking out onto the water. These guys have been struggling all night, like five, six, seven hours, trying to row this boat in this storm. Jesus could have come sooner, right? I mean, he could have, but here's the thing. Jesus' timing is intentional. 
It always is. I think he came at dawn because he knew, well, they wouldn't be expecting him. You see, this event only makes sense when we realize Jesus's goal is to reveal who he truly is, God in the flesh. And Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament tells us there is only one who can walk on the water. Job chapter nine, verse eight says this, he alone, meaning God alone, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Don't think for a second that these 12 disciples in this tiny boat in the middle of this lake didn't, that that verse didn't flash through their minds when they saw Jesus walking across the water. Sure, they had seen many other miracles. I mean, they just had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. But defying the laws of nature, this is something new. This is something new. Only God can do that, they thought. And so they're stunned. And while they're processing what's going on, Jesus coming to them on the water, our friend Peter does something extraordinary. He's about to check off a major thing on his bucket list. Here's what happens. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Just let me ask you this question. If you had been in the boat on that early morning, what would you have done? And before you get too bold, <laughs> remember only one of the 12 disciples decided to get out of the boat. Here's my point. Whether you're on the actual sea of Galilee or fighting against the daily storms in your life, if you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat, right? If you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. If you want to make an eternal difference in your life and those who are around you, you'll have to take some calculated risks for God, even if you're afraid. Don't think Peter wasn't afraid to get out of that boat. He certainly was. The truth of the matter is, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, you were made for more than just sitting in the boat. There's something inside of us, hardwired within us, that wants to walk on the water. We hunger for life with God now and for eternity. So let me ask you, what is your boat? What is your boat? What boat are you sitting in right now? What's holding you back from pursuing a bucket list that really matters for eternity? Your boat, by the way, is whatever you put your trust in other than God. That's your boat. Your boat's the thing that keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up and join Jesus on the waves. Your boat's whatever pulls you away from pursuing deeper discipleship. So let's say you've been working at a career for 35 years and you're in your late 50s, you're in your early 60s, you're getting close to retirement, but it's been gnawing on you your whole life that God's calling you into full-time vocational ministry. And you've given away a lot of money and you've done a lot of good things over your life, but you can't shake the fear that you've missed your calling. You're afraid it's too late, but it's not. All you have to do is get out of the boat. Maybe your boat is the secrets you keep. 
things no one knows about, things you're not willing to admit or deal with, things you're hiding from your family or your friends. You'd rather hold on to destructive habits, which have become your boat because they keep you from fully pursuing the things of God. It's time to get out of the boat. Maybe your boat is success. You know, like the rich young ruler in the New Testament who came to Jesus and Jesus said, sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. But the rich young ruler said, no way, I have a pretty good boat. In fact, I have a yacht and I'm not willing to give it up. I always wonder if later in life, when this guy was an old man, did he ever think about the day that Jesus called him to risk it all for something better, something eternal? Don't hear what I'm not saying, though. Nothing is wrong with a career or success. But if that's all that you're focused on, you're blind or you're either ignoring what God is calling you to pursue and you're stuck in your boat. Having the courage to step out of your boat may be the hardest thing you've ever done. But Peter steps out of the boat. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, Jesus, not Peter, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, as Peter walks on the water, he starts to notice the powerful wind and the waves that are all around him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus because of the circumstances of his life at that moment. He gets distracted by his, his fear. He begins to sink. Matthew tells us Peter was afraid. You know, I picture Peter gasping for one last breath as he starts to go under the water and he reaches out his hands to Jesus and he has, says, Lord, save me. And Jesus does. Because the truth is, whenever we cry out, Lord, save me, he does. He does. And Jesus reached out his hand and he rescues Peter from certain death and he offers a slight rebuke to Peter when they get back in the boat. Why did you doubt? I mean, I was here for you. Why did you doubt? Pastor Mark Moore describes the rebuke of Jesus towards Peter in his book, The Chronological Life of Christ. Here's what he says. Jesus rebuked him for his weak faith, even though it was stronger than that of the other disciples who remained in the boat. Jesus used this rebuke to help Peter and the other disciples see that consistent confidence in Jesus is absolutely necessary. As you face your storms, you've got to remember Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Be confident in him because he is always there. Do not put your hope in the things of this world, but in the promises of God and the truth of his word. And even when we falter like Peter, and we will, Jesus extends his hand and he rescues us. Perfection is not the goal. Faith is the goal. And as soon as Peter climbed back into the boat, the winds stopped, the way, the, the, all, the, all that was going on with this storm miraculously ceased. 
Now, I want you to notice something. This passage that we've been unpacking here contains three miracles. First, Jesus walked on the water. Then Peter walked on the water. And then there's the calming of the storm. Yet, none of these incredible events are the climax of the story. We tend to think Peter walking on the water, that's the point of the story. Have faith and walk on the water. That's not even the climax of this event. The climax of the story is not the miracles. It's the disciples worshiping Jesus. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, this is the first time they've addressed Jesus as the son of God. This is the first time that they fully understand this is the son of God. Peter could have stayed in the boat like all the others, but he decided to take a risk, face his fear. And the decision to grow spiritually always involves a little risk, a little discomfort. If you want to do something amazing for God, you're going to need to leave your comfort zone, step out of your boat, take some risks. So what if God wrote your bucket list for you? If he did, it might sound something like this. He might say to you, instead of investing your hard-earned money in a business or in retirement, he might say, invest your money in the launch of a new church. That pays eternal rewards. He might say, swap your week-long vacation plans for a week on a foreign mission field. By the way, we have 14 people from Journey going with us this summer to Ecuador, and there's room for one more. Maybe this is God's call for you to put that on your bucket list. He might say to you, memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. And we would think, oh, wow, an entire chapter. I saw on the board out there, people put, I want to memorize a verse, and that's a wonderful thing to do, but you can do it in like two minutes. What about memorize a chapter? Now, there's a task that pays eternal rewards, rewards now and forever. When I was in college, freshman, Bible college, um, New Testament class, one of the things they had us do was memorize passages of scripture. And one of our first assignments was to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, the whole, the whole thing. That's a lot of verses. And so it was a struggle. And the test was you come in, you sit down at your desk. The professor says, okay, get out a pencil, piece of paper, begin. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do, but it does reap rewards in this life and in the life to come. He might say to you, don't upsize your home or upgrade your neighborhood. Instead, be the neighborhood chaplain where you live right now. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? to be the neighborhood chaplain, just unofficially, but you're the neighborhood chaplain. You're making sure everybody's shepherd. He might say, instead of meeting your favorite celebrity, because that's on a lot of people's bucket lists, he might say, why not introduce your friends to the most famous one of all, Jesus? You see, God's bucket list for your life probably includes fewer things to do and more things to become. God's bucket list isn't just about doing things, accomplishing a task and getting it checked off and moving to the next thing. God's bucket list is about becoming someone, becoming like Jesus, becoming a disciple 
of Jesus. If climbing Mount Everest or running with the bulls or sleeping in an igloo or visiting all the major league baseball stadiums on your bucket list, great, leave them there. Those are wonderful things to do. Just don't forget to include things that point to eternity as well. The Bible makes us this promise. God's plans for your life will turn out to be a million times more soul satisfying than anything you could possibly dream up on your own. I promise you that. So there are really two important lessons that we learn from Peter's walking on the water story. Here's the first one. Faith requires stepping out of the boat. If you want to walk on the water, what has to happen? You got to step out of the boat. Sometimes you just have to take the risk and do it. And just like Peter, sometimes we'll step out of the boat and then be overcome with fear like he was. And we'll begin to sink. But Jesus is right there to catch you. My guess is the next time Peter stepped out of the boat, stepped out of the boat. I mean, he didn't walk on water again, but he did step out of the boat in certain ways. His faith and his trust in Jesus was even greater. And the same will be true for you. The more steps of faith you take, the easier it gets. So step out of the boat. Here's the second thing we learn about Peter walking on the water. When you follow Jesus, he will do incredible things through you. I'm convinced that God wants to tell his story through your life. He wants to tell his story through you. And he wants to do it in ways you can't even begin to imagine. In other words, God has walk on water moments waiting for you. He really does. Don't settle for a boring and safe story. I think Peter talked about this time that he walked on the water for the rest of his life. I mean, wouldn't you? If you walked across the lake, you'd, be, you'd tell everybody you knew, hey, remember the time? Let me tell you about this time. Of course he would. He talked about it all the time because it's a great story. But you have walk on water stories waiting as well to be told. He took a risk. He didn't play it safe. God wants the same for you. He wants to tell a great story in your life. Let me close with one of my favorite stories. During the 1990 NBA season, Michael Jordan scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was a great feat. And after the game, a reporter asked Stacy King, it's one of Jordan's teammates, how he would remember this epic performance. Now, keep in mind, Stacy King watched most of the game from the bench. <laughs> in fact, he only scored one point the whole game. And this is, in fact, what makes his response to the reporter's question classic. Here's what he said. He said, I will always remember this as the game Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Listen, you don't need 69 things on your bucket list. But you do need at least one. And the number one thing at the very top of your list, it's the greatest bucket list goal of all time, is to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. None of the others matter until you trust in Jesus. Make today the day you decide to turn from your sinful past and follow Jesus into the watery grave of baptism and wash away your sins. Let me end our time together with the last sentence of Peter's first gospel sermon. So you go back to Acts chapter two, that's where this sermon takes place. And the crowd of thousands have gathered on the day of Pentecost and pre Peter is preaching the very first gospel sermon after the resurrection of Jesus. 
and he talks about Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection. And the people say, what must we do to be saved? And it was Peter, the guy who walked on the water, the guy who sunk, the guy who was rescued. He said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, the Bible says, thousands upon thousands of people made Jesus their number one must do. Right at the top of their bucket list. And they checked it off that day. Listen, you're only one decision away from a totally different life, a better life. Let today be your day of salvation. And when you came in here, this morning, you probably got a card, something like this. Maybe you got one last week. It's a bucket list card. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a card where you can begin to explore what is God calling you to do that requires a little risk, a little faith, a little fear. What is your walk on water moment that you're going to add to this list? And you can see out there on the board there in the, in the atrium, there are people who've already filled out their cards. They've stuck it up on the board for all of us to see. I hope that you'll take time this week, maybe even today, think through what is God calling you to do? What is God? And maybe you just keep this list in your Bible. Maybe you tuck it in your daytime or I don't know. Maybe you put it on the board. Maybe you put it on your fridge. What is God calling you to do that's going to make an eternal impact? Because there are some things. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. <clears throat> Father, we're so grateful for your love and your grace and just the presence that you have in our lives. And just now, Lord, as we open our hearts up to you and continue to worship, we pray that you would just increase our faith. Help us to just seek you out, to find ways to serve you that maybe are, are beyond what we would have ever thought about, to put things on our bucket list that make a difference for now and eternity. And Lord, I thank you for all those who are here, who are considering how they can serve you in greater and deeper and deeper ways. We thank you for this opportunity just to think about Peter and his life and to see his example and to model him. So we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Jordy Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.